Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is my friend, and hopefully not the next AI that's going to take over the universe, Adam. Robo Adam. That's me. (laughs) That's you. That's good. I'll try to edit that in post and make it sound more robotic, or maybe I'll just leave it as is. That sounds good. Let's see what we can do with that. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. I had a really fun time with this episode. So uh, I just have to say it's probably my favorite episode thus far in What If. But that being said, it probably wouldn't have been my favorite episode if I just went right to this episode. Like if I saw that this or heard that this was a great episode from a friend and just watched just this episode, it may not have had the same effect on me. I think I liked it as much as I did because of the previous eight episodes that they set the stage, which makes this one pay off more as a result. Just as the MCU films make the series work, their previous episodes make this episode that much more entertaining. That's interesting that you say that because I agree with you about 90% and that's enough <laughs> to get an A, right? So yeah, I, sure. I look at this... And I think you're right. I think if you had just started with this episode, there are a couple of callbacks to previous episodes that connect, but not in a way that's necessarily going to kill the episode. But I think that kind of familiarity with the style, with the tone, with the types of stories that we were getting lend themselves to getting to this place. And I think that's partly why Disney Plus, when they released these, they didn't release them all at once. It's an anthology series. I mean, that is for sure. But it's not a pure anthology series in that you have like Twilight Zone, where you have each episode to stand alone. You don't have to watch episode two in order to understand episode 14 of Twilight Zone. However, I would probably connect what if, based off of what you've said and what I agree with, with more of like Black Mirror, where you have these episodes that are not connected in their stories, but they share things. They share technology. They share, in some ways, ideas There's an episode of Black Mirror that I think is probably my favorite. It's Black Museum, and it calls back to a number of different episodes, but not in a way that's just a big Easter egg hunt. It's really part of the museum, quite literally. That's the only spoiler I'll give you for that. It's an episode that I would say is the same how I would react to this, where watching it after watching a number of different episodes leading up to it, I can appreciate it on a deeper level. But if I hadn't, it would still be a good episode, just not one of those Oh, man. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. And when we talk about the ending of this episode, we'll obviously kind of (laughs) allude to that. But but overall, I think just as an episode itself, I want to say this is probably the shortest, at least from my viewing. I felt like it was very short, like it wasn't. Yeah. The pacing was really fast. There's a lot of stuff going on. It was less than 26 minutes without the credits, which is important because Disney Plus adds a lot of, of credits, as we've mentioned. Not just the standard credits, but all of these sort of various geo translation <laughs> credits as well, right. which adds to the to the runtime that you see at the bottom of your screen. So yeah, it's less than 26 minutes, which I think almost every episode has been over 30 at least, and some a little bit longer. So it's it was definitely shorter, but I think that because 
of this buildup that we've had. Maybe it's a little bit like a fireworks display where you can have that grand finale, right? Where it's just like explosions all over the place. But it's kind of nice to watch a bunch of smaller fireworks first and then build up to that really great array of explosions. So this kind of feels like we're at the beginning of the grand finale for this season. And I think having all that great buildup, as you said, the style we've become accustomed to of animation, as well as the sort of style of the fighting and the voice acting, all of it, it all kind of helped pave the road for my enjoyment of this episode. It's called What If Ultron Won? And of course, it's an allusion back to Avengers Age of Ultron, which wasn't the best received Avengers movie. I think it was probably the most criticized. Yeah. But independent of that, did you read the comic event when it came out or after the fact? about Age of Ultron? I did not, no. I I don't even know anything more about it. Obviously, it changed quite a bit because they had already built a lot of the components for the MCU, and so they were adapting that story based on the events of the MCU, which makes a whole lot of sense. So you and I were talking offline about book-to-movie adaptations and how things get lost in translation, stuff gets missed. I think when you're adapting a comic event, at least in its title, you have to have some kind of grace and forgiveness. Spider-Verse Into the Spider-Verse is loosely based off of the big comic event series. And there's no way at all that you could adapt all the cool stuff that took place in that comic event because it's so robust. I have the hardcover omnibus of the whole event and it's, I think, almost 300 pages. Like, it's thick. There's a lot going on. And it's a lot to follow. And you don't want to do that to a two-hour movie, especially an animated one. So Age of Ultron, the comic event was like that. There was a lot going on and some of the story beats were similar and it's been a while since I've read it. So I'd have to kind of go back and reference like what story beats were similar, but the tone was there, this idea of this AI that got too big for its britches. And so the age of Ultron really looked a lot like this. What if episode where this AI could just decimate things at will. And so when I, have that in my head and I'm seeing the character design, I'm seeing the set design and I'm seeing what's going on here. The way the desperation and the weight of what Ultron can do and what he did in the comics absolutely shows up here in this episode. And I think that's one of the big things that I pulled from my enjoyment of this episode was just how heavy this was, how heavy, not like a Dr. Strange (laughs) at the episode we watched watched earlier, there is a obviously there's a different heaviness to that. Like it was sad all the way through. This one had levity, it had action, it had all this great stuff, but it was underneath this umbrella of this AI that pretty much was the most powerful being in the not only the universe, but as we come to find out, in the multiverse. And this is where we really get into the watcher becoming more of a participant. This is the first time I think that he fully participates. He's made himself known a couple of times indirectly, indirectly. But as we've talked about in previous episodes, we kind of do the, can you spot the watcher? What I've seen, Adam, is that every episode, he tends to make himself more present, more present, right. either as a, you know, he starts out as a silhouette or maybe translucent. Now he's inside the KGB archives trying to convince Clint Barton to find the right file. Come on, look, look, the answer is right there. 
only Jeffrey Wright can deliver some of these lines so casually. That's the other thing I like about The Watcher is he comes across visually as this like omniscient. I'm going to talk very royally and very importantly. But then he's like, oh, man, what did I do? You know, it's very right. like this very yeah. casual type thing. And I forget if in the What If comics, if that's how The Watcher talks. But I don't think he does. I think he's more formal. So that's another element of this where we get more of him. As you mentioned, I co-signed the fact that all the stuff that we've had up to now, the introduction of great action sequences, great dialogue, it's really on full display here. And I think that's what makes it such a fantastic episode because we get all the stuff in an episode that feels jam-packed, but not too fast, not too slow. Everything feels like it's at a really good pace. And we're left at the end going, oh my gosh, I need to watch the next episode. This is what I did. I watched it and I was like, should I watch the next episode? This is the same thing that happened with Stranger Things 1 before the series finale, <laughs> you know, the season finale. But again, I'm sticking to our rule. I'm sticking to our principles and saying I'm not going to do this. But I was compelled to and will be compelled to, depending on what time we finish up our recording, going back and, and watching the final episode because it did compel me to be like, all right, what's going to happen? And the fact is, this is the first episode where we've gotten more than a tease of the future of that universe based off of that episode. This is really like, oh, we're actually going to pay off what we're delivering. So all those things came together for me where I was like, this is this is what a good episode of television is supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it's got some really incredible, I mean, right out of the gate, some incredible action sequences. We have Clint Barton, Hawkeye, and Black Widow fighting bunch of Ultron's drones, like I guess. Drones, yeah. And you're kind of in the middle of this bleak post-apocalyptic universe now. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Zack Snyder's Justice League, sort of the coda at the end where they're all in this wasteland. And that's kind of what we could have had if we ever got that trilogy. We could have really seen a what-if version in the DC world. That's kind of what they were going for there, but it never happened. So I kind of like this idea of, of exploring like the darkest, bleakest <laughs> version of a universe and seeing where things might have gone. And yeah, you can't get bleaker than this episode. I mean, not only does Ultron wipe out essentially everything on planet Earth, but then he goes bouncing around our universe. Almost every world that we've been introduced to in the MCU and Guardians of the Galaxy and all the other films gets <laughs> wiped out as well. It's right. And, and it happens. So much happens in this episode. Again, it's a short episode, but it doesn't feel short. It feels like we're really getting a lot in a good way. We're getting so much story, but in a very fast paced manner. And I think as a result, it makes it that much more entertaining because we're not getting any filler here. We're not getting any downtime. It just kind of moves right on to the next thing. Just like Ultron, Ultron has an agenda and it's to essentially wipe out all, I guess, organic life in the universe to bring about peace. <laughs> he somehow has decided that this is the way, sort of like Thanos, perhaps, in, in his weird, twisted yeah. perspective. I wanted to talk about that for a minute because it's a really interesting comparison. Both of these guys have agendas that have a level of altruism at their core, or at least what they see as a value for the universe. Thanos, his obligation is to wipe out half the universe, and it could include, quote, good guys and bad guys, but his ability to do that or his compulsion to do that 
is, I think, similar to Ultron's in that he says he wants to bring about peace. And I put that in air quotes because peace for him is non-organic life. Silence. Like there's a moment that I think is really cool where he wipes out the universe and he's sitting on this like crater in the middle of space. (laughs) Yeah. This is where he starts hearing the watcher. But for Ultron, I think what makes him different than Thanos is that his is more a power grab than anything else. He wants to be the one to do it. And so when he discovers the multiverse, it becomes a huge sandbox and it's almost like he's addicted to it. Right. When he's sitting on that rock in the middle of space, he's not sad of what he's done. He's regretting that he doesn't have anything else to do. He's fulfilled his programming, so he has no purpose anymore. And so exactly. he needs more purpose, and the multiverse is an infinite number of universes for him to bring peace to, so he can have purpose forever, essentially. Yeah, and that purpose is a hit, like a drug hit that he's like, right. it's never going to go away. And I think that's what makes him so interesting in this episode, Adam, and why the episode goes so fast, because I think what the writers and animators wanted to do is they wanted to show just how insignificant everything else is compared to him. Like he wipes out earth. Iron man dies yet again. I think he's died. What? Four times, three times in this this series, but the whole planet goes. Then Thanos gets sliced. I thought that was a great kind of surprise when you see Thanos come out and he's got the infinity gauntlet and you're like, Oh my gosh, we're going to have a showdown. And the only thing you see and hear is Ultron go, interesting. And he slices the dude in half vertically. I was not expecting that at all. It totally caught me off guard. Oh, and I just want to mention, because you mentioned Iron Man yet again dying. There's a great shot I just wanted to point out leading up to the introduction of Iron Man, where the camera pans across Cap's broken shield you see Thor's hammer and his kind of red cape on the ground. And then you see Hulk's kind of green back out of focus lying in the background. They don't show or dwell on any of them, but you can clearly see they've all been killed by Ultron. And then it kind of pans over. Somehow Iron Man's the only one still alive. And he's probably the least powerful, at least compared to Thor and Hulk. You would think Iron Man would be one of the first <laughs> to be killed. Right. Uh, despite his metal suit. But yeah, he's got the mask broken off and it's just, it's a great little shot. I just thought it was really, really interesting the way they handled that scene. And it clearly sets the stage for the fact that Ultron, he can't be reasoned with, with Iron Man. He's not changing his mind, right? He's, he has this purpose that he's decided is his whole purpose for being. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it was, it was really well done. It was great to see Thanos come in through that portal and just thinking, like you said, like we're going to have an epic battle right now between these two godlike characters. And no, it was akin to the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark scene where the guy with the sword is swinging his sword and he just kind of pulls out his gun and shoots him. You know, that's basically what happens. Yep. So watching that, having him, and then he takes the Infinity Stones from the gauntlet and now he has just increased his power 100 fold. And the only person that we know that could battle him at that point is, of course, Captain Marvel, who we get introduced to in the previous episode. And we see her power. We see her allude to the fact that you know she could destroy a planet. And this is essentially what we get. She takes him down. I think she refers to him as Skynet, which is really fantastic. And then they go inside Earth's core, wherever he is. I think he's, I don't know what planet he's on. He's not on Earth anymore because it's been destroyed. 
Yeah, it's another planet, but I don't think it's very clear where they are, just that she shows up right. in space to confront him. When they're battling, you can see this energy coming from both of them and like somebody's going to die. And he looks at her the same way he looks at Thanos. His reaction to her is one that's just casual. Yeah. And when he kills her, that sets off this chain reaction of destroying the universe that's being portrayed here. Right. So we get this like double level of Ultron's power and his greed. And it's just like it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies going from killing people to destroying a planet and now destroying a multitude of planets. And then we're stuck with him on a rock alone, as you mentioned, pondering the fact that he's completed his programming. Again, the episode just surprises me because we get this really great monologue from the watcher. The realization nearly broke the machine. With his mission complete, Ultron was now just a program without a purpose. The victor without a war, sentenced to spend all of eternity alone. And <laughs> he's like, what is that? <laughs> and the Watcher's like, oh my gosh, he can hear me and he can see him. And this is the first time, Adam, that I think the Watcher is really out of control of his own power. Oh, role. Yeah. So again, in a normal like story, we get this great kind of dramatic monologue and we see Ultron pondering his own existence. But of course, in this, we see him hear what, <laughs> what the Watcher's saying and that sets off the back half of this episode or the 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 bulk of this episode that really, really is on fire, like just in terms oh, yeah. of action. So now we have two stories that are independent of one another. We have Hawkeye and Black Widow. You know, they're the last, I guess, the last two surviving humans on planet Earth. Did, did planet Earth get destroyed or did it just get corrupted and everybody else died? Yeah, well, there was a, um, essentially, they launched every nuclear weapon, or Ultron launched every nuclear weapon on Earth on itself. And so I think we're just supposed to be, I mean, there could be other survivors living somewhere with radiation poisoning, but it was a nuclear apocalypse, right? That's the idea being that pretty much everybody was, was killed. And Hawkeye and Black Widow were, of course, in their jet or their ship, whatever it's called. And somehow they were spared. And so, yeah, they have their own agenda here, their own secret plan to potentially right. bring Ultron down. And they're working on that plan while Ultron and the Watcher are basically having their own battle. And it's, it's intense. <laughs> it's a good fight. And it's a great conflict because you have, again, the stepping stone of as Ultron gets more powerful, he goes up against more powerful beings and eventually conquers them or would conquer them, so to speak. Kind of mirrors the Doctor Strange episode when he's slowly gaining more power, absorbing more and more power from the mm -hmm. beings that he brings in. That same thing here. I think Ultron just has acquired all the power in our universe, essentially. And the Watcher is the only one that he has to essentially conquer now in order to take on the remaining universes. But my question for you in the last episode, at the very end, we saw this Ultron appear at the very end, almost like a stinger. And he's marching in with, you know, an army of his drones and implies that he's succeeded in <laughs> in uh, conquering multiple universes and now he's coming into the universe where thor did not have a brother is that how you took it well i think what i took it as is 
a stinger of a character we're going to be introduced to in another episode. So in that universe, the comedic Thor universe, as I would call it, Ultron does show up, but I don't believe this episode was a continuation. In other words, I don't think this episode exists in the same universe as that. And we could get into the weeds about why, with the exception of this episode and I'm assuming the next one, none of these are interconnected. The only way they would interconnect, and I guess the next episode isn't necessarily connected. It's connected in story, but not in universe, because as as we see, the Watcher goes to a different universe to get help from Doctor Strange, who we met in his you know, one-man universe, where, where he lives now. Right. So I would say that the introduction of Ultron in that episode was merely to get a sort of excited about, oh my gosh, are we going to see Ultron in an episode of What If? And of course, that's what we got. So I don't see it as a continuation from that particular universe, but it tells us that Ultron can exist in multiple universes because there are multiple universes, which kind of gets me excited about the next one. Because I read the synopsis and I was like, oh, there's going to be recruiting involved. Well, does that mean there's going to be multiple Ultrons? Because that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't know anything about the final episode other than what my imagination has has created <laughs> after watching this episode because if we haven't mentioned this is essentially the first in a two-part what if episode if you will it does not resolve itself at the end i should just say right the connection being of course the watcher and mm-hmm. this clearly it came out before doctor strange in the multiverse of madness but there's a big connection to the kind of universe hopping that they do in during their battle here. Even some of the shots look eerily similar. Oh gosh. So <laughs> I love I, that too. I yeah. absolutely love that. And packed with little Easter eggs along the way. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even gonna try to figure out all those. The no. only one that I saw was the or the one that I picked up on was the obvious one where Steve Rogers is apparently being given the oath to become president of the United States, which Right. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd be great with that. Yeah, President Steve Rogers. <laughs> cool, man. Captain America is my president. I'll take that. Yeah. It's in his name. He's Captain America. He has to be yeah. a good president. <laughs> <laughs> the transitions were cool. And I love, in particular, the way in which Ultron, as he's hitting the Watcher, the universe changes. And so you have these right. beings changing from different species just to kind of give us an idea of the fact that what he's doing is so manipulative and so powerful that he can switch universes at will if he wanted to. And I think he alludes to that when he tells the Watcher almost condescendingly, he said, you had all this power and all you did was watch. Like you could have done so much more from a character who is trying to bring peace to the multiverse at this point. He almost comes across like he thinks he's morally superior because just watching as opposed to doing is we would probably say really bad. Like if there was a fight that broke out in a public place and instead of helping or calling the police or trying to break things up, we're putting our cell phones in front of our faces. Watch. Yeah. We're the, we're the watchers. And I think that that's sort of a small allusion to the fact that you had the power and you chose not to, but he took an oath. Apparently that's the key. And now who did he take this oath to? I don't know. But along those lines, I just want to share my, probably my favorite line. (laughs) When Ultron says, towards the end of their battle, at least that we see in this episode, Ultron says, Wow, isn't this more fun than just watching? And to be honest, it's a lot less creepy on your part. 
so I really like right? that. I think it's, it's really fun good. how Ultron almost has a sense of humor here too. He's not just a machine anymore. He's really a sentient being with almost emotions. He feels things. He needs to do what he's doing. And they definitely found a, we've talked about this before. They found an actor that's kind of doing a James Spader impression and it's pretty good, but it's definitely not James Spader. I mean, you right. can tell, <laughs> which is okay. It didn't in any way affect my enjoyment of this episode. In fact, I think of all the episodes, this one had the least number of returning MCU voices. I think the only people that we got back were Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye, Toby Jones as Arnim Zola, and as a little surprise that was not at the beginning credits, we got Benedict Cumberbatch returning as Doctor yes. Strange Supreme, mm -hmm. uh, which I found interesting that in, if you watch the opening credits, you get the, the voice cast you know, in the credits. But his was at the end in this episode as to save the surprise because it was. It was a nice little moment at the end. You, you're kind of thinking, like, how is the watcher going to get out of this? <laughs> and then right. he kind of essentially runs. You know, he kind of escapes from their battle and ends up in this, like, spherical universe that's big enough for just, <laughs> just Doctor Strange. It's yeah. the one that we see in the episode that uh, that centers around Doctor Strange, you know, because right. of all the stuff that he's done. And if you want to listen to that episode and you haven't yet, just go back and take a listen because we don't need to recap that one. Then we talked about the fact that what I wonder what happens next for him. So I guess we're going to find out. And that's what's interesting is that none of these episodes are technically connected to each other in terms of continuing a story because we're using this sandbox of a multiverse. Like in theory, the Watcher could hop to all these different multiverses that we've already visited. And you could call this a continuation of every story because it involves characters that live in these universes. But at the same time, it's not because the story itself exists independent of the multiverse. It might take place in a different universe. So if whatever happens in the next episode potentially takes place in a different universe, but with characters from universes that we've already visited, there's this kind of convoluted dichotomy of is it a continuation of each of these episodes or is it its own episode and i think it can be both which i think is just brilliant that's i think another reason why i enjoyed this episode because it is both the marvel formula or mcu formula and not at the same time this is an exactly, anthology yeah and it's a potential continuation of all these episodes that we've already experienced right. and so i just love that i love the fact that you have writers and creators that are like, this is what we're building to. And it's so unexpected because as you start this series, you just think it's going to be like a standard anthology format where the only real thread is this omniscient character that just kind of introduces the story and helps you along the journey. But then each story is going to be an independent episode or independent adventure. But what we've learned is that there are these little threads and things that tie them together, which make it a far more interesting and threads that tie back to some of the more recent feature films as well, like Doctor Strange and mm -hmm. the Multiverse of Madness. So I think they're having a lot of fun here, which I like. I like that they took a slightly more risky approach, perhaps. You know, the what if comics were really just standalone issues that were not interconnected, at least the ones that I, I had read. So this definitely was a little more. I'm sure challenging and problematic in 
how to tie it all together in an interesting way. But they did. They really knocked it out of the park. I'm hoping that the final episode is, <laughs> is just as good. And I have yeah. a feeling it will be. But this is the penultimate episode. And for me, it's the peak of what we've of what we've seen. Yeah. And I want to make a comment about that before we move on, because I want to talk about Natasha and, and Clint, yeah. their, their whole half of the, the episode. It, which is really good. Yeah. It is really good. And, and we'll get there. But I, I wanted to touch on something you said with regard to this playing in the sandbox of what if and interconnecting these stories. If you were to try to do that with the comic books in the 80s or 90s or whenever, you couldn't. Because every month for 12 months, I don't know, I don't know if it came out biweekly or, or I think it came out monthly, you'd have 12 independent stories that didn't have a tie into anything else. It was just simply, let's have some fun with this. So over a 12-month period... For let's say four years, you had 48 issues. And in theory, if you were talking about a multiverse, you'd have 48 different universes. So a Spider-Man who gains the powers of the Fantastic Four lives in one multiverse or one universe. And you have a Weapon X battling Wolverine in another one. To tie those together would be insane and probably impractical because what you'd have to have are an audience that would have read all 48 of those issues and have working knowledge of all those different stories in order right. to bring them together to tie them up. I think the benefit, and I say this very ironically because the MCU is so huge at this point, but the benefit of a series like this and having the opportunity to tie these stories together is the fact that it's not as big as a comic. It doesn't have 10, 15, 20 years of monthly comics to pull from all this story, you have a lot of movies and you have TV shows. And so, yes, the MCU is very bloated, but it's manageable. And I think that's a lot to do with, you know, give credit to to Kevin for that. Kevin Feige yeah. for being able to show run that or universe run that or whatever you want to call him, <laughs> yeah. the, the master of the MCU. And I think that that's why these episodes are working so well and why they could potentially, with this last episode, work in a way that's like, wow, you brought them all together in a way that just made complete sense. Having not seen it, we could come back for this next episode and be like, that didn't do at all. And that's okay. But the fact is, for the most part, every one of these episodes, save maybe episode six, we really, really enjoyed the fact that you had the opportunity to have the opportunity to bring them together in some way, even if it's a small way, tying some of these ends up, I think is more it's it's more doable than to do it from a comic book event series. And the fact is the comic books were never meant to be tied together. They were just meant to be fun stories. So just like the what if series is playing in the MCU. Now these, what if stories have an opportunity to take that a step further and say, Hey, look, we don't have 50, 60, 70 years of stories that we're trying to tie together. We have 12, 13, 14 movies that we can play in and really bring them into a place where they they have more fun with so i i think there's just there's just good stuff happening here and regardless of what happens in the last episode i think what's happened up to this point for season one has been a really really good thing yeah and i think i'll just add that i think what's different as well is in the comics we never really had at least when i was reading the what if comics in the late 80s early 90s they didn't have any means to interconnect them we now in the MCU have this sort of ability. And in this case, it's through the watcher or it's in the movies, it's through Dr. Strange. We have this ability to hop 
from one universe to the next and see what if something had happened differently and experience it. And every one of those scenarios is real in that sense. Like there actually is a world where Professor X is alive and so is Black Bolt and Agent Carter. Like that is a real world that our MCU characters could visit. And that's interesting that we've now created that ability. In this series, we have the Watcher, who is essentially the connector between all these universes. And so as we're watching the Watcher watch everyone, we're experiencing what he's experiencing and what he's watching. And we know that through his abilities to see them all, and they could all be happening simultaneously, right? He could be, as a omniscient being, witnessing all of these things occur at the exact same time. It feels like the stakes in these episodes, they aren't just a fun, oh, what if? These are real things that have occurred in other universes that may have ramifications in the main 616. Is that what we're calling it again? Yeah, because they could, through some means, come into our universe, into the 616. So that makes watching this series more of an investment in our knowledge of the whole MCU as a whole, right. kind of more valuable. Anyway, I like the fact that just like it pays off to watch all the Marvel movies, all the Marvel shows, all the Marvel one shots and all that information that you accumulate through all of that time that we've put in over the last 15 years, it all pays off when you see these little details and Easter eggs and things. To me, this series could have been a throwaway, like just for fun thing. But in fact, I think it's much more than that. Yeah. There's ramifications in everything. Exactly. Whether or not yep. the subject matter is compelling or good or bad, I'd like to believe that even in an episode about Killmonger and Tony Stark, that there'll be some stuff in there that's going to have some ramifications. Anytime you introduce a story that has a multiverse attached to it, it creates an opportunity for you to build off of that story. Right. Whether it's exactly. in a different genre or a different kind of medium. And that could be, to be honest, it could be detrimental because when you have the death of a character you have a multiverse attached to it, the death of that character can become diminished. Right. Especially if you go into multiple universes and like, we'll keep introducing Agent Carter and we'll keep killing her. Right. Well, at some point <laughs> yeah. after the 616 Agent Carter's killed and there's a weight to that, if you know you can just replicate her, carbon copy her and just pull her from another universe and then kill her over and over again, then what merit and what value is that? The stakes right. get lost. So there's a risk, there's a reward, and... As a creative team, I'd hope that they take that into account. Like, hey, look, even though there's always the opportunity to bring back a character, like bring back a Captain America or bring back a Professor X or whoever, should we? You know? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like Dr. Ian Malcolm. You know, sparingly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I feel like we're kind of in the Jurassic Park of the MCU where we're Ian Malcolm going, you, you didn't stop to think if you should. You knew that you could, but you didn't stop right. to think if you should. And so I think we need to take that into account when we're, when we're looking at these stories. I want to touch on this uh, storyline with Hawkeye and Black Widow. The episode opens up with them and the action is just completely on point. I love the rapid fire arrows that Hawkeye has. This is probably the best iteration of Hawkeye that I've seen in terms of the tech. Like he's got some yeah. pretty sweet arrows. It's on full display here. He's got that invisibility cloak. I guess he got it from Harry Potter. I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. And a robotic arm too, right? And a robotic arm. Yeah. Yeah. Bionic. You know, so he's clearly he's something happened. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's taking pages from Harry Potter and Winter Soldier, apparently. Like, right. Like, I, you know. But he and Black Widow have such a great chemistry on screen as, as these characters. You know, she's got that motorcycle, and uh, they end up in Russia in the KGB archives. Their mission is to get to uh, Zola or find uh, find Zola, this analog AI. Who we met in Captain America Winter Soldier, I believe, in New Jersey, I think. He was in a yeah. base in New Jersey, and they mentioned that that was one copy of him, but there was one other is stored in, uh, I think, Siberia or something, which is what they need to find. They don't know that, but they need to figure out where, and that's why they're in these archives. And yeah. some fun lines in, in this scene as well. This is where some of that levity comes in, as you mentioned. Yeah, Barton makes a great reference to Raiders of the Lost Ark when they're walking <laughs> yeah. through here, which I, I was thinking the same thing. Maybe you can help me out here. Natasha gets a, what I would call a, quote, cap shield, but it's like in, it's a Russian, like a Russian flavored painted cap shield that she ends up yeah. using later on. Is that referenced in any movies? I don't remember that. I don't think so. The only thing I would say is that later she mentions that Hydra kept Zola in Siberia to supervise the Russian super soldier program, just like we had the American version of the super soldier program. So perhaps that was an unsuccessful program on their end. They never perhaps created their version of Captain America, at least not that I'm aware of, but I guess they built a shield (laughs) just in case. I could be completely wrong if those listening know something or if if there's something from the comics that I didn't know about please let us know, but I am unaware (laughs) of any other specific details. Yeah. This scene also introduces us to really the weight of everything that's happened on Clint. And, and I, I really like this moment and it sort of gets paid off later in Siberia, but he starts expressing the fact that he's tired and that he really doesn't, doesn't want to fight anymore. And uh, he makes, I think it's his great line, says the Death Star plans are not in the main computer, like a Star Wars yeah. reference, when he can't find what they're looking for. But they end up finding it. Then they hit Siberia, as you mentioned. I think one of the best kind of moments of levity is when they dialogue about Clint's middle name. So Zola identifies both Black Widow and Hawkeye with their their real names, and he gives their full names. And he says... Um, Francis, really? How did I not know that? It's a family name after my Mima. Don't you worry about it. Your Mima? I imagine you have many questions, Fräulein. And I think those moments are necessary because we're in a heavy place. We are not quite Doctor Strange heavy, but again, the the last two humans that are capable of doing something are trying to find reasons to laugh. So they get help from Zola and man, Clint bringing those jump drive arrows. Like I need one of those, you know, if I need to, it's like, this is, I'll take that to work with me to use instead of just a regular jump drive. I think it'd be pretty hard to fire one of those into a USB port though on a computer. I mean, I think you would just, no, you'd stick it into the USB port, but you would fire it into an AI, you know, or or Uh I would do exactly what he did. You know, if I needed to send it somewhere, then I would fire it. But in terms of actually getting data from something else, I would just stick it in there. I mean, cause you know, that's impractical Adam to use your (laughs) bow and arrow skills aiming at a, at a computer. But I love watching all this play out as it gets to that final moment where, Clint is really sacrificing himself. 
Yeah. He, yeah. And this is one of the best uses of slow-mo that I've seen. I mean, you could, if you're Zack Snyder, you're going to use it all the time, <laughs> maybe to the, to the detriment yeah. of your audience. But this is a great use of slow-mo because it captures the patience of us kind of feeling the weight of Clint sacrificing himself. One of the coolest weapons in his arsenal is that shield that he fires with the arrows. And when they finally break through, I think it's like this kind of mass explosive arrow that he does. So it's all just really great leading up to that moment where he sacrifices himself and then Black Widow takes Zola, who they've blown his legs off because they don't want him to escape. Right. Just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case. Just in case. And that's when we find out, of course, that he can't connect to Ultron because he's in the multiverse. I think the episode wouldn't have been as powerful if we didn't have the human element attached to it, because there's definitely a coldness to Ultron, obviously, and rightly so. And as fun as the battle was between him and the Watcher, I think we needed that personal touch of humanity so that we could feel empathy for someone. And in my opinion, I think Clint Barton's dialogue about being tired and about just wanting to give up. That's, I think, the tone of the comic event. That was what I felt reading the comic event. Like, is this ever going to end? Are we ever going to find light at the end of the tunnel? And the episode leaves us with potential hope, but really more questions than anything else of like, how are we going to do this? I think that's a fantastic way to end it, knowing that we're going to probably get a payoff episode next time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm gathering that the plan with Zola failed unless the Watcher can bring Ultron back into this universe so that he can connect wirelessly. I, I'm <laughs> assuming that maybe we won't even see Natasha anymore. Maybe that whole thread is done. It's possible that that's just like a failed attempt and she's like the last human on Earth. But again, we'll find out. Just going back real quick, you mentioned that slow-mo shot of Barton sacrificing himself. There's just an absolutely beautiful, almost cinematic wide shot of him falling. It almost freezes. It goes beyond slow motion. It's almost like a freeze frame. And it's just with like the light, the shaft lighting coming down. It's gorgeous. There's a great Twitter account, One Perfect Shot, where they take really beautiful single frames from movies and shows. And like, that's like a perfect example of just like a beautiful, almost painterly shot that you could just pull out of this episode. And it's just, it stands all alone by itself without context. It's, it's beautiful. This was a great secondary story thread that we really needed. We needed there to be hope that these two and their plan would find a way of succeeding. And I actually thought, it would up until the very last moment because I thought, oh, he's right. going to kill the Watcher. Ultron's going to kill the Watcher if they don't succeed. And somehow, in the nick of time, Zola is going to send whatever he's sending. He's going to corrupt Ultron remotely, saving the Watcher. And that, that's really how I assumed it would end. And I'm kind of happy it didn't. I'm kind of happy that we got a completely different ending here with the watcher escaping with them failing because they're out of range so to speak and with the watcher escaping from their battle to live and fight another day essentially to recruit back up <laughs> i like when things don't go the way i anticipate them going and this did a good job on many occasions from thanos getting sliced in half almost instantly upon his arrival to this ending it all really does a good job of going against what your expectations might be yeah well, any parting shots before we wrap up this episode? My only question really is, in 
the season finale, which I'll just say it's called What If the Watcher Broke His Oath. It's the final episode and the the continuation, I guess, of this episode. Who does he make an oath to? <laughs> That's really, I mean, I'm curious. I'm legitimately interested in knowing. And also, I thought there were multiple Watchers. I didn't know there was just one. And there's even that, we mentioned it in an early episode, a little joke stinger scene with Howard the Duck. No, no, sorry, it was Stan Lee. There's a couple of them in the Guardians of the Galaxy films where he's like on this asteroid with like three watchers. And I think I mentioned it to you before. The implication is that Stan Lee's little cameos in all the Marvel films, regardless of which universe they're in, are all his attempt of kind of spying on what's going on for the watchers. Yeah. He's kind of watching for them and reporting back. And there were three watchers in that scene. So I was wondering what's correct. You know, is there multiple watcher beings who are watching different things at the same time? Or is he like the all powerful watcher, <laughs> the one voiced by Jeffrey Wright, that is the most powerful and the one that's kind of watching over all the watchers who are watching over everything. I, I'm just, I'm curious. Yeah, my theory is leaning into a similar idea like the Q continuum, where you have a representative, and he is part of the Q continuum, but he's also called Q, mm -hmm. and so they refer to themselves as we, or he refers to himself as we, but he reports to the Somebody. Q continuum, yeah. the continuum, a group or a person, or just the it's referred to as the continuum. So my theory is that. That's what the Watcher is. So he might be someone who is watching. And if there are infinite universes, maybe there are infinite Watchers who are watching a certain container of universes. Like yeah, the, it's, the universes my that head's we get. starting to explode. Like, I can't process. Yeah. It's too big. <laughs> and, and in all honesty, we probably won't get any of those answers in the next episode. It, that's probably no. why it's rated slightly less than this last one. But yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a good question to ask. And I, I hope we get that question answered. But even if we don't, I think we're in for a, a great season finale. It's okay either way. It just these are questions that come up in my mind. But, you know, like you said about whether it will be, whether it will live up to this episode or not, this final episode, it's funny how in a lot of two-part TV episodes, the first part for me is often almost always the best one because the buildup, the, the setup, is almost always better than the payoff for some reason. Even like going back to Star Trek, we love to use Star Trek The Next Generation here. The best of both worlds, that first half where Picard gets captured, turns into Locutus, and that great cliffhanger ending, like that is such an amazing first part of a two-parter. The second part's still great, but it doesn't quite live up to the first part. The first part is just so powerful. And I am assuming that that might be the case here, that we have an incredible first part of a two-parter and based on the ratings that you mentioned like on imdb people seem to, to like the first part a little better <laughs> i might i might go against that i might like might have my all form my own opinion as you should form your own opinion <laughs> don't listen to the haters or the lovers whatever <laughs> yeah we both really enjoyed what if thor were an only child and that actually had a lower rating than uh what if killmonger rescued tony stark so we've gone against the interesting grain. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I thought that was so much fun. So maybe mm -hmm. the people rating these episodes don't like to laugh. We'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Have some levity, like people. Come on. 
Uh, we, <laughs> and I'm glad you do, because we do that a lot on this show, that's for yeah. sure. All right, well, that will do it for us on this episode of an original series. As we said with our last season finale, we don't have to say what it is, but to make it official, Adam, what's coming up? What if the Watcher broke his oath? That's it. That's our final episode. Please tune in and join us for the conversation. And we appreciate you tuning in for this one. I'm Patch, he's Adam, and we are out of here.